Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at goatguns.com. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jeff Nischwitz about an organization's tolerance factor in making culture transformation happen for your organization. Jeff Nischwitz, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, I am super excited for this conversation today. Uh, we're two peas in a pod in terms of our interests and uh, the topics we get passionate about. Today, we're going to be focusing on an organization's tolerance factor and making culture transformation happen for your organization. And of course, we'll talk about leadership in relation to that and what HR needs to be doing uh, to be able to foster that kind of an environment to shift culture. Uh, but ultimately, we'll come back to this culture transformation idea and how we can do that more effectively within our organizations. As we get started, I wanted to share Jeff's bio with everybody. Jeff Nischwitz is known as a snow globe shaker, shaking things up, who's on a mission to help people shift how they lead and thereby shift their leadership impact. He's an international speaker and personal transformation coach known for his unique perspectives, challenging traditional thinking, and delivering tangible shifts for leaders to grow their people, build their businesses, and enhance their relationships. Jeff's the founder of Nishwitz, the Nishwitz Group, a speaking, consulting, and coaching company that transforms people and organizations one truth at a time. He's also the co-founder of Cardevera.com, a leadership development ecosystem that grows leaders and their impact. He also co-hosts Leadership Junkies podcast, and Jeff has published four leadership and business books, including his most recent, Just One Step, Walking Backwards to the Present on the Camino Trail. He's also currently working on his next book, Snow Globe Leadership, Shaken, Not Settled, which will be published in 2021. Thanks again, Jeff. Uh, It's a real pleasure having you today. Before we launch on into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context? Uh, No, you certainly got it right. We're peas in a pod because as I was looking at your podcasts and listening to them, I thought, wow, we're having the same conversations, just uh, different sides of the world from Florida to Utah. But yeah, we certainly uh, share, it's clear we share a belief in the, the need to really transform leadership today. 
Yeah, I think transforming leadership is a good way to put it because um, it's so interesting as we as we think about kind of the historic precedents, the the uh, tradition, um, in the the kind of the the traditional assumptions behind leadership. Uh, it was those notions were largely built for a a different economy, <laughs> for a different day, a different age, and we I, we could even question, you know. The, the quote unquote traditional approach to leadership, even back in the, you know, the, the height of the first wave of the industrial revolution, but industrial revolution 4.0, uh, you know, with a service oriented economy, um, knowledge economy, uh, it just doesn't work that way. Like we, we can't, we can't focus on the old models of leadership. We have to be able to do something different if we hope to be relevant and stay competitive and add value in the marketplace in today's world. Uh, and so I think that's all what this kind of leadership shift that you talk about, that I talk about, uh, what it is and why it's so important. And certainly, you know, as we're going to focus our conversation today on, on culture transformation, uh, that's equally important because not only do we have to disrupt leadership and leader mentalities, but we have to shift follower mentalities um, because oftentimes as followers, we kind of force our our leaders into old paradigms because that's what we're comfortable with. And so it kind of goes both ways. And ultimately we have to, to uh, disrupt these, these existing systems of organizational culture uh, to, to have something a little bit more healthy is something a little bit more timely and relevant to the needs of today's economy, today's market. And ultimately, you know, hopefully we can have a really healthy workplace for everyone that will both meet the bottom line, you know, profit, goals of the organization, but also the people needs um, for both internal uh, employees as well as external customers and other stakeholders. Well, I think one of the fundamental shifts in what you described, Jonathan, is frankly, to get rid of the idea of followers. Um, you know, you know, leaders, we tend to, we tend to think about followers. I tend to think about followership but followership is not about following. It's about trust. You know, I, I'm going to follow to some degree someone I trust. If I don't trust them, I'm not going to follow them, except out of fear or, you know, demand. But what I want to do is I want to help empower everybody who's traditionally been in the follower role. Say, no, you are a leader wherever you are, and you have an opportunity to not only impact, but fundamentally begin and nurture this change in culture that's more people focused because I'll tell you what's been frustrating for me, Jonathan, especially when I've been speaking, not so much the last 18 months, but before that, so often people, especially the HR uh, leaders would come up to me at a conference and say, we love what you're talking about. And then I always saw it coming. There'd be this breath, this pause. And they would say, what if the problem is our leaders? And, you know, my, 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 response was always the same. Well, I'd love to tell you that's the first time I've heard that. And it's not, but I said, look, when you have that, you have three choices. One is do nothing, just do nothing uh, and continue to blame the leaders. Uh, second is you can choose to leave. And third is you can choose to take some risk because there's always risk and step, step up and do the things that you believe are right in the moment. And because what I've tell them is, 99% of the things we're talking about don't require approval and they don't require budget. And if you're waiting for approval, that's the opposite of leadership. So I want to empower, you know, 
millions of former followers into their leadership to create this transformation. I love that paradigm shift. I, I think that's spot on. Uh, if we can start to really truly see ourselves, each and every one of us and everyone on our team as a group of leaders that we each have the opportunity, the possibility and the potential to influence and to shape the culture, the environment uh, around us, you know, the environment in which we work. Um, I love the shared ownership of it. I love, um, I love the collaborative nature of that kind of a paradigm shift. And ultimately, like you said, I mean, we either just wash our hands of it and say, you know, ah, this, this is messed up. I hate it. Or we try to do something. Now you're right. There is always risk. Uh, I've felt that before. I've, I've, I've felt like when I've spoken up in certain organizational settings um, and I knew I was taking a risk, I thought, you know, perhaps it was a measured risk and people would be mature adults and it didn't work out that way. Um, and so there's blowback, but you know what? You, you, I, that's like, I, I knew, I knew that's what I was doing and I knew that was a possibility. I was, you know, sad that that's the way it went, but, but ultimately, you know, you have the choice, like you said, you have those options and I would much rather speak up, speak out, try to make a difference, try to make a positive impact. And if it ends up coming back, you know, to, to hurt me because someone's insecure or somebody, you know, is, is a little threatened, um, you know, then ultimately maybe it's time for me to go somewhere else, or, uh, maybe it's just the first step in a series of conversations that will ultimately lead to, you know, to a change after the initial disruption starts to happen. Uh, there's, when we're talking about change and we're talking about shifting paradigms and we're talking about shifting the nature of leadership and we're talking about culture shift. I mean, these, these are long processes. This doesn't happen overnight. And so you can't think that you're just going to speak up in a meeting and then all of a sudden it's magically going to change everything. Um, you know, you need consistent, sustained effort by a whole bunch of people over a long period of time in order to see this happen. One, one other minor, maybe it's a major uh, paradigm shift we can make is you reference the risk. And what I tell everyone is that the risk is the good news. You know, you wish it wasn't there, but the good news is that when you feel the risk, when you're aware of the risk, that tells us it's a leadership moment. Leadership involves risk. If there's no risk, that's not a leadership moment. It's something else. It's just taking care of business. But when there's a risk, that's that moment of truth. That's the moment that says, here's a leadership opportunity, and I'm going to choose to either lead or not lead. And what I want people to understand is, obviously, I have passion about transforming leadership, but I'm not here to judge people's decisions in that moment. I just want them to understand they've got that choice in the moment and to make that more consciously and intentionally because as you said, and I'll just put a different word on it, we often live in a very a blame and victimhood environment where it's easy to say, well, they didn't change. I can't change them. Well, you can't, but you can make a different choice today as to how you're going to show up. And it might take time, but that change happens based upon micro moments. It's not a giant decision, you know, a brand new culture strategy. It's that micro moment where you choose and others choose to do it differently in alignment, hopefully with your values and ideally in alignment with the stated values of the organization. That's where the magic happens. And yeah, it's risky because that's what leadership is. It's risky. 
Yeah. And anytime you're trying to shift anything, uh, you know, people are resistant to change. It's just human nature. And so anytime you're trying to, you know, have a paradigm shift, a culture shift, a leadership, a shift in leadership approach, or even just the smallest little policy practice procedure <laughs> within <laughs> your team or the organization, I mean, it, there is risk and there is going to be some um, level um, of, of resistance. It's just the way it is. And so, um, you know, we just go into that eyes wide open and understand that, yeah, that's like you said, that's what leadership is. That's it's leaning into those moments and in understanding that leadership at times is hard because you're, you're, um, navigating the complexities of the organization and the relationships and the, uh, the culture and all of that. Um, but ultimately it's worth the risk because that's, that's what it's going to take to, to drive change, to drive difference, um, over time. Uh, so let, let's touch shift gears just a little bit and and talk about an organization's tolerance factor. I know that's something you talk a lot about. Um, it's already kind of started to come up a little bit in what we've been discussing, but describe that for us a little bit, uh, and then we can dive in a little deeper. Yeah. Well, first of all, a caveat. Um, sometimes, especially in the last year or 18 months, we're talking a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion. And part of that is allowing increasing our tolerance of differences. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of opening ourselves up to more vulnerable uh, approaches and more authentic approaches to diversity, equity, inclusion. And that includes tolerance of differences, so many wide ranges of differences. But what I'm talking about is, and I knew I was onto something, Jonathan, when I first said this out loud about three years ago at a conference, I'd never said it before. And I put a slide up on the screen and in quotes, it said this, your leadership, culture, and impact is not defined by what you preach, comma, but by, and then I'd have it blank. And people would say, oh, by what you do, right? Because that's what we're used to hearing. It's not what you say, it's what you do. But then instead of do, I said, nope, that's sometimes it. But I said, what it really is, it's, it's defined by what and who you tolerate. What behaviors are you tolerating? What um, uh, outliers are you tolerating? What kind of people are you tolerating? Because I will tell you, when I knew I was onto something, because a guy in the audience, this has never happened before. When I said that and put it on the screen, he literally jumped out of his seat and said, that's not true. Now, when someone yells that something's not true, that tells me how true it is. And after about 10 minutes of conversation with him, what he really was saying is, but I have reasons for my tolerance. He wasn't disputing the statement. And he went on to explain his reasons, which I probably called excuses, uh, <laughs> which led to a question from him of, well, what's the difference between an excuse and a reason? I said, well, there's one difference. A reason sounds better. And it turns out that what he was tolerating was a verbally abusive partner. Um, and it turns out the reason was he, was he otherwise delivered a lot of value. Oh, and by the way, he happened to be his brother. And the reason, you know, this is what I've realized is that most organizations look at what they do and they're always trying to improve. Let's do this better. And they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if we're on video, but I got my hands up high. We got this high bar. Here's our values. Here's what we believe in. And they know they have exception. They like to call them exceptions. And they'll say that, you know, is somewhere down here below our expectation, but it's this outlier. 
My premise is no, wherever your exceptions are, which is your tolerance, that's what's true about your organization. So if you say you care about your people, but you allow a situation to exist where your people are not cared about, that means you don't care about your people. If you say this culture is safe from verbal abuse and you have someone on your team that does it, then you are, that's not true for your organization. This is what is so hard. And, and it's so transformational because when you're willing to get honest about these tolerances and, and the visual I've offered is that so many companies, they build this, this vehicle, this automobile, it's, it's the best automobile. It's got every bell and whistle. It's got the best fuel in it. It's got everything you want, but you can't seem to get where you want to go. Well, then I tell people, you got to look out the back window because behind your vehicle is a heavy chain with an anchor attached to it that's holding you back. And that anchor is tolerance. That is what the, that's what tolerance is about. It defines your culture. It's not outliers. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, and I think, you know, I I find that super interesting, and I appreciate your, your caveat statement at the beginning, you know, about separating out you know, sometimes when we hear the word tolerance, we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations. Um, that's not what you're referring to at all. Um, and certainly there's a time and a place for reasonable accommodations within an organization. And so you have certain, you know, policies and procedures, but you do make accommodations for people in certain situations, um, you know, and that's back to legal compliance as well as diversity and inclusion initiatives and things like that. But, you know, what you're talking about is something very different um, than reasonable accommodations or inclusion efforts within an organization. We absolutely need to make sure that, you know, walk in the walk as well as talking the talk means back to your point that if you're tolerating bad behavior uh, and you make up excuses for why, you know, this person brings so much value to the team. We're going to put up with the nonsense. We're going to put up with the abuses. We're going to put up with whatever, you know, X, Y, Z behaviors or actions um, that, that it becomes toxic for the team. 
uh, that becomes toxic for the organization. You end up spending so much of your time just trying to like manage the fallout from the, those negative aspects. And, and, and that, that really degrades the, the culture and the environment um, that, you, that you might be going for. And in every other way, you may be doing it really great. But when you have that person or you have a, a few people or you have certain things that you do um, that undermine your own stated values and your own stated efforts, and you tolerate those things to uh, continue within the organization, ultimately people are going to see it for what it is. They're going to see it uh, like to your point, they're, they're going to say, no, they, they say one thing, they do something else. They, and they have different sets of rules for different people. You know, if you're, if you're a C-suite person, you know, you can do whatever you want, but then if you, you go lower down into the middle management, then they're going to hold your feet to the fire. For example, that's just one example. Um, there, there's so many times that that kind of thing shows up within organizations. And unless we can, be honest with ourselves about that and stop making the excuses, um, we're, we're really going to be continually shooting ourselves in the foot. So I like the way you frame that in terms of that tolerance factor and the higher that tolerance factor, uh, the, the, the weaker you're going to be, the, the, the more, uh, the, the more limited you're, you're going to be in terms of that positive environment, that healthy culture, that innovative culture, and ultimately driving success for your team. Well, yeah, Jonathan, and you hit two important distinctions that it's important for people to think about. One is you, and I don't know if you even realized you were saying it, it was beautifully said that you talked about sometimes when you do this, engage in this tolerance, you create a toxic environment, a toxic outcome, a toxic impact. Absolutely true. However, sometimes people get stuck on that that's the only situation to worry about where it's really toxic. Like the example I gave of this verbally abusive team member, especially if they're more senior. Yes, those are toxic outcomes, but there's also just what you said, the undercutting of your values and your other cultural statements that may not seem toxic, but they have a huge negative impact. So for example- Uh, Especially, um, yeah, when you talk about these- you, you mentioned it earlier, these micro moments, right? Just in the aggregate, they have a huge impact. And you talked about a great word, accommodation. This is absolutely not about accommodations because accommodations are hopefully thoughtful, intentional, and well-communicated so that people understand the why there's an accommodation. And if they still have an issue, then we know we've got a trust issue in the organization. And part of the impact of our tolerance factor is on trust. So let me give you a real life example. It just happened about a month ago. I'm doing a team session and I asked everybody at the table, what's the biggest thing to you that's holding back the organization? And someone who was in operations said, the biggest thing to me is we're not consistently following our policies and procedures. And so, and I said, so, okay, so tell me how that impacts you. She said two ways. Number one, it makes my job more difficult. And here's the big one. She said, number two, it makes me feel unsafe, actually. Unsafe. And 30 seconds later, someone next to her says, well, my issue is that the company won't let me do things my way, which tells me that person doesn't care about the impact on this person. So it's it's not a toxic environment in the traditional sense. However, we've got someone who feels unsafe 
not like physically unsafe, but it makes them unsettled and unsafe. And someone else saying, hey, I should be able to do what I want. And that's the big problem here, which tells me it's about that person. And that person doesn't care about this person who feels unsafe. What's the culture like now? Unsafe, lack of trust. I don't feel like people have my back. That may not be viewed as toxic, but it is crushing to a culture and to achieving your objectives. Crushing. Yeah. And again, over time, even if, if it's a relatively small thing, they build up and they erode at that trust. They erode at you know the collegiality and the camaraderie amongst team members and the ability to work uh, effectively together. And anytime someone stops feeling safe and it doesn't have to be like fear of being bullied, you know, we're, we're not talking even extremes. Anytime you start to have that psychological safety diminished, people tend to retreat. People tend to play it safe. They, they, they tend to just kind of maintain the status quo. And when that happens, you're not going to get the creativity. You're not going to get the innovation. Uh, and you're really not going to get the best out of your people. Uh, so it really becomes a lose-lose kind of a dynamic. So anytime, you know, someone set, excuses bad behavior, bad actions, you know, uh, things that someone says that are inappropriate. Anytime someone, you know, a, a manager or a leader excuses that it demonstrates to me that they don't recognize, uh, the, the broader impact of all of that on the people around them on their team. Uh, and the net effect of that over time becomes really, uh, damaging, uh, even if it's not to the level of, you know, this major, major toxicity and this major bullying, this, you know, harassment happening continually and those sorts of things. Certainly in those extreme ex- ex- examples, you have to take care of that. You have to address it head on. Um, but there are, are simple little things you can be doing each and every day just to make sure that you're, you're establishing and maintaining the trust and helping everyone feel truly psychologically safe, truly um like they matter to you, they matter to each other. And if, if we're not um, providing that kind of an ongoing level of support through our leadership approach, again, again we're going to be hurting the potential of our people. We're going to be hurting the potential of our teams. Well, and you nailed it. One of the things that I think people are missing, and it's even more true today than it was 18 months ago, because while we're all in a hurry to get past whatever past means COVID, the ripples of COVID are wide, deep, and long, because it's not just about COVID. It created a scenario where so many leaders were challenged. It's an ongoing challenge. You know, you talk about accommodations going forward. I think that leadership in the next 20, 10 years at least, is going to require actually more accommodations of different circumstances in a world where people are afraid of accommodations because of different risk factors. But the way I like to say it, Jonathan, is that when your people feel seen, heard, valued, and cared about, that's your umbrella of safety. When they feel that, they engage, they commit, they're in. But when they don't feel that, they withhold everything. They withhold engagement, ideas, collaboration, trust, uh, support for everybody, buy-in. So it, to me, it's this very clear question. The real challenge, I, and I'll, I'll just jump ahead with this, Jonathan. What I, I often look at leadership and say, is anybody listening? Because the message seems clear. And then I thought, well, maybe they don't know how to do it. 
And that didn't make enough sense because of the, the wide range of issues I see. I really think the biggest blind spot, and it is a blind spot, is organizations and leaders already believe they're doing it. It's either that, I mean, it's that, and it's a combination of what you alluded to earlier. They led in a different time with a different reality, just fundamentally different reality. And even people, it's not generational because even people who are younger and years of experience, they were led by people the old way. So they've never seen it modeled. So you talk about the risk of saying, this makes sense to me, but I've never, ever seen it modeled. I don't know what it looks like. Doesn't mean we can't do it, but let's recognize there are risks in it. And what can we do to educate, to bring more awareness and to share specific tools that leaders can use to say, oh, that's how I do it. Oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, okay. I see how to do it because all I know is how I used to do it. I don't know how to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that is absolutely right. So many people, I think, I think most people are very well-intentioned. Um, they, they wake up in the morning wanting to go and make a difference and make a positive impact and, and lead well and have a dynamic team. Uh, and I think most probably, you know, anything we're saying, they're probably shaking their heads and saying, yep, yep, that's important. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. That's, that's, that's a step like to, to acknowledge that, to recognize it. But then do we practice self-reflection to really think about how this happens within our teams? Are we secure enough in ourselves that we're willing to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror? Uh, and I think a lot of leaders either have some insecurity, uh, perhaps some imposter syndrome, whatever the type of insecurity might be. And two, you know, they also are so busy that they, you know, they don't feel like they have the time to like st- step back, have that reflective opportunity. Um, and, and because of that, they're not fully aware of the gaps. They're not fully aware of, of the limitations. And to your point, you know, if they haven't seen it modeled before, they're just, we tend to replicate what we see other people do. That's just the nature of it. Well, Jeff, I'm going to turn this around on you just for a minute to wrap up with this. I'm actually going to ask you a question, John, Sure. Um, rather than me answering this, this thing in my head, I hear that constantly from leaders. I'm too busy but we're talking about the elements that relate to their people, which is what leadership is. It's about the people. So what are the leaders doing that they don't have time to do the leadership pieces for their people? That's a really great question. And it it demonstrates priorities, right? Uh, And I think what so many leaders end up spending most of their time doing is not leadership. They're doing managing and administration. They're putting out fires. And the the irony is it it takes a little bit more effort up front to start to establish meaningful relationships with your people, mutual accountability and trust. Um, But you do those elements up front and then it actually over time will diminish the amount of time and energy you have to put into all of the you know, the, the fires and the problems and the challenges and stuff that crop up when you have unhealthy systems, when you have unhealthy teams. So I get it. I understand why leaders find themselves in that trap and why they kind of go down this downward negative spiral. Um, but we can choose to disrupt it. We can choose, and it may take a little bit of extra uh, exerted effort uh, in the short run 
to kind of rebalance your priorities. But once you start to do that, I think you'll find it will free up way more time for you to spend on your strategic thinking, the reflective pieces, the, the relationship building, and all the other factors related to influence and, and impact that we usually think of when we think about leadership. Amen, Jonathan. Amen. Well, thank you for the question. And thank you, Jeff, for the enlightening conversation today. It has really been a lot of fun. I note the time and I want to make sure I let you get back to your busy schedule. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, uh, find out more about your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Right on. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I, I love the conversation. Uh, I'm leaving with some new nuances, so it's always an opportunity to learn and grow myself. Well, fortunately, I have such a funky name that if you can spell my last name, you can find me because there's there's virtually no others. So my last name is spelled N-I-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z. So my website is nishwitzgroup.com. You can find Jeff Nishwitz on all the social media channels. Best way to reach me is uh, through any of those. Uh, my email is jeff at nishwitzgroup.com. Uh, I'm really excited about my new book. Uh, Jonathan alluded to it in the intro. It's called Snow Globe Leadership, Shaken, Not Settled. I won't explain all of it, but it's all about these things that we're talking about. There's a chapter on tolerance factor. There's a chapter on more impact awareness and responsibility chapter on vulnerability, which I think is a unique look at vulnerability. That book's coming out November 4th. That's what we're telling me. So uh, look for that. Uh, It's going to have a lot of the things we talked about today. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time and the great insights that you've provided to me and my listeners. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Jeff and his team, find out more about what they can do for you. Check out the book. Uh, his existing books, as well as the forthcoming book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. 
we publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.